came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. My name is Brendan O'Brien. Today is Wednesday the 15th of July 2020. And each month we bring you two fabulous episodes for your listening pleasure on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. One episode features Dr Ian Astroblog Musgrave, who gives us his monthly sky guide for observers, accompanied by his fascinating astronomical tangent. And the other episode is a feature interview with a respected astronomer, astrophysicist, space scientist or particle physicist. We also include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible as we work our way through this COVID-19 crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. So right now, we'll hear from Ian Astroblog Musgrave over in Adelaide, followed by his astronomical tangent. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Monthly Sky Guide to the Astrophys Podcast. This month's skyline runs from July the 16th to August the 16th. Now, for an overview of what we're seeing this month, most of the action is in the evening skies, but the morning sky shows some very good views too. Saturn comes to opposition and is brightest and closest to Earth on July the 21st, and Venus in the morning leaves the high 80s behind, and all the bright planets can be seen in the morning. The southern Delta Aquarius meteor shower peaks on the morning of the 29th of July. And for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, Comet C slash 2020 F3 Neowise is putting on a spectacular display in the morning. So let's look at what's happening in detail for what's up in the sky from July the 16th to August the 16th. Let's start with the Moon. The new Moon is on July the 21st. The Moon is at perigee and it's close to the Earth on the 21st as well. First quarter is on the 27th of July, full moon is August the 4th, and last quarter is August the 12th. The moon is at apogee when it's furthest from the Earth on the 9th. Now let's move to the evening sky and take a look at what's happening there. Jupiter just passed opposition, and Saturn, hand span below, both dominate the evening sky from sunset on. Saturn comes to opposition on the 14th, when it's biggest and brightest to see from Earth. And this is an excellent opportunity to look at Jupiter and Saturn in telescopes. Even in small telescopes, the bands of Jupiter can be clearly seen, as can the dance of its moons. 
Saturn is also actually viewing as a position uh, this month. And even a small telescope, rings can be easily seen, and also it's bright moon Titan. Now, both are high in the late evening sky, which makes them ideal because when they're at their highest, the conditions are calm and ideal for viewing. And on August the 2nd, the moon is between Jupiter and Saturn. Mars has now entered the evening sky and is rising before midnight. However, its distinctive red glow remains low on the eastern horizon until the end of this period. There are a few bright stars close to Mars, so Mars stands out quite nicely. But if you're still unsure, on August the 9th, Mars and the waning moon are very close. However, while Mars is visible in the uh, late evening, it's still best to view, especially telescopically, in the morning. For the Northern Hemisphere, the outstanding morning event is Comet C-2020 F3 Neowise, which has survived its encounter with the Sun and is relatively visible in the dawn sky with a magnificent tail. How long it will remain unaided eye visible is uncertain, but it should be well visible by the time this podcast goes out. It is visible in the northeastern sky below the white star Capella about half an hour before sunrise. Although it is currently so obvious, you don't really need guide stars. If all goes well, by the time this podcast goes out, it will appear in the northern hemisphere evening skies as well. Climbing from the constellation of Lynx into Earth's Majoris and darker skies. It is close to Earth on July the 23rd, but it's not clear how bright it will be by then. The earliest southern hemispherians can expect to see it as by July 27, low in the twilight and possibly unobservable with the unaided eye from then on. Outside of the comet, all four bright planets are still visible in the morning sky at astronomical twilight 90 minutes before the sunrise. We have Jupiter and Saturn sinking in the west, Mars high in the north, and Venus low to the east. Mercury joins the lineup briefly, but it is too low in the twilight to be readily seen for most of this time. Now, while the, uh, the bright planets are all visible in the morning skies, let's not forget that Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus are all part of this lineup. However, they're unable to be seen with the unaided eye, with the exception possibly of Uranus. If you know exactly where to look and are under very dark skies. Otherwise, Neptune and Uranus can be seen with binoculars if you know where to look. Right, Venus is at the edge of the high 80s, that heads towards the bull, and starts uh, this month not far below the bright red star Aldebaran. During the month, Venus moves away from Aldebaran, following the line of the horns of the mythological bull. On July the 17th, the crescent moon is close to Venus, and on August 1 to 5, Venus forms a bright tip to the horns of the bull. On July 19th, the thin crescent moon is near Mercury, although this is difficult to see low in the eastern twilight. On August the 10th, the moon morning sky is a glorious sight with a pair of Jupiter and Saturn low on the west, Mars high on the north close to the waning moon, and Venus blazing low on the east. The southern Delta Aquarius meteor shower, the breakup of comets Mars and Encratch, peaks after midnight in the northeastern sky on July the 29th. Although the radiant rises before midnight, around about 10pm, the best rates are seen early in the morning of the 29th, around 2 to 3pm, when you should see about 4 meteors per minute. This is, of course, after the um, uh, waxing moon has set. Now, the radiant is in Aquarius, which is why it's called the Southern Delta Aquarius, and it's around a halfway between Mars and Saturn. 
So that's it for this month's stars. Uh, we have bright planets to view. For those in the northern hemisphere, a bright comet, uh, some nice meteors, and uh, some close encounters between the moon and the bright planets. And don't forget, it's not just the planets, although the Milky Way is beginning to leave the um, middle of the sky. Uh, Scorpius and its uh, bright clusters are still in an excellent position for viewing. Uh, the large Magellanic Cloud is sadly a bit too low on the horizon for good viewing from the southern hemisphere. But the small Magellanic Cloud and, and uh, 47 Tucana, its outstanding globular cluster, is still readily visible, as is uh, Omega um, Centauri in the south and the delicate jewel box cluster near the Southern Cross. So there's lots to look forward to and look up to. So look up. I wish you all clear skies and have an excellent time viewing this month. Thanks, Ian. And here's Ian's Tangent. Hello and welcome to the July-August Tangent. And again, it's tangential. Well, okay, it's parabolic, but that's sort of a tangent. The Northern Hemisphere is currently enjoying the appearance of Comet C-2019 F3 Neowise, which we talked about in What's Up in the Sky. Its appearance is getting better each day, and with any luck, it will survive to be a distinctive feature in the evening sky as well. Now, you may be thinking this is a great comet, but what is it that makes a great comet? There are no hard and fast rules, but the highest probability of a comet being a great comet is 1. When the comet is close to the Sun, if a comet comes within 0.5 astronomical units of the Sun, then it is likely to be a great comet. But of course, you don't want to come too close. And remember, one astronomical unit is equivalent to the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Also, it helps if the comet is large. Now, cometary nuclei can vary in size from a few hundred metres across, more or less, to many kilometres across. And the larger ones have more dust and ices to be blasted off into space to make the magnificent tails which we appreciate. It also helps if the comet comes relatively close to Earth so we can see the action well better. Now in the case of C-2019 F3 Neowise, <gasps> deep breath, it came within 0.29 AU of the Sun. Now remember Mercury is a, is a 0.39 AU from the Sun on average, so it come, came in closer than the orbit of Mercury. And it appears to have a fairly large nucleus, around about 5 kilometres. It also comes within 0.692 uh, astronomical units of Earth, which is relatively close. Not fantastically close, but pretty good. As a comparison for a recent great comet, the comet C-2016 P1 McNaught, the great comet of 2017 with its amazing rooster tail stretching across the sky, it came within 0.17 astronomical units of the Sun and 0.82 AU of the Earth. Its nucleus diameter is uncertain. As another example, the great comet Hale-Bopp has a nucleus somewhere between 40 to 80 kilometers in diameter, came within 0.914 AU of the Sun, but only came close as 1.3 AU of the Earth on its way in, not on its way out as it came past the perihelion. Nonetheless, it had a fantastic tail and was probably one of the greatest comets of the common era. But again, as I've said in previous conversations, comets are like cats. They have tails and they do what they want. For example, Comet Holmes, uh, a comet with a nice uh, nuclear diameter of around four kilometres, 
unexpectedly brightened from magnitude of about 17, which you require serious telescopes to see, to about magnitude 2.8, easily visible to the unaided eye in a period of only 42 hours. And it did this when it was about two astronomical units from the Sun, well beyond our um, great comet limit of 0.5 astronomical units. The amazing jellyfish shape caused by the, us seeing the comet almost head-on stunned everybody. And we still don't know why we saw this outburst. There's numbers of theories, for example, that could have gases building up inside, could have burst through the crust on the outside of the comet, causing an amazing outburst, or a range of other possible reasons. Now, as we know from various observations, flyby missions and the Rosetta Orbiter, comets are fragile objects. They're accumulations of dusts, organic tars, and ices. And remember, the ices are not just water, but also carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and methane ice. And these are in a loose agglomeration with lots of internal voids under a consolidated crust. Not surprisingly, they tend to fall apart. The famous comet C slash 2010 X1 Elliman fell apart on its approach to the sun. It didn't even get, get close enough to get seriously warm. C slash 2012 S1 Ison made it around the sun and fell apart. And the two great hopes of 2020, C slash 2020 F8 Swan and C slash 2019 Y4 Atlas also fell apart. The beginning breakup of C slash 2019 um, Y4 Atlas was caught on the stereo spacecraft H1 Imager. Now I remind you that they've got multiple spacecraft looking at the sun at the moment. Stereo was part of a pair of spacecraft that were observing the solar corona in um, stereo. It wasn't designed to um, follow comets, but stereo has played a, a large role in watching some of our more exciting comets and also finding a range of sun grazers as well as the SOHO spacecraft, a perennial um, sun observer, which has found numerous sun grazer comets. And Stereo and SOHO also watched the dramatic solar pass and sub subsequent disintegration of C slash 2012 S1 ISON. In fact, the, uh, everyone was cheering as ISON um, went around the sun, watching it come out. Everyone was expecting to see uh, great things, and then we watched as it sort of fell apart with a sigh. Multiple spacecraft also watched as C slash 2011 W3 Lovejoy skimmed above the sun's surface, deepened the corona. And there were some spectacular images of the comet uh, twisting and uh, zipping across the, um, the face of the sun. It survived, but the nucleus disintegrated shortly after this. However, a spectacular searchlight-like tail without a head graced the southern skies at Christmas. I hope you give this an idea of how difficult it is to predict what we will see when we see a comet round the sun. However, Stereo, Soho and a range of others also watched C slash 2019 F3 Neowise that rounded the sun. Uh, Neowise did not fall apart, thank goodness, uh, and Soho caught the beginning of its magnificent double tail, and the Parker Solar Probe catched captured the glowing glory that was the tail that's currently gracing our skies. Now those were the spacecraft, now it's up to us to observe it and hope that it lasts to grace the evening skies of the northern hemisphere.
Thanks, Ian. Fantastic. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored, and we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com. And another great Astro podcast is The Scientists with Kirsten Banks and Dr. Ankel Lopez Sanchez. And for observers and astrophotographers, always check out Dr. Ian Musgrave's Astro Blogger website. In our next feature interview, we're zooming over to Ithaca in New York to speak with Dr. Thea Kazakis, a researcher at the Carl Sagan Institute, Cornell University. Thea is a pioneering researcher in techniques to study the atmosphere of exoplanets and biosignature modelling and detection. It's great. Till then, isolate, take care, look after yourself and your loved ones. And... Please do wear a mask when you can't socially distance yourself. Radio Wave.